Welcome to Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Soundprints for the week of April 10, 2022. The following events are all on the KCB Zoom line at 669-900-6833, and the code is 862-9889-6972. The next meeting of the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, KCB's Owensboro Chapter, is Tuesday, April 12, from 1 to 3 p.m. Central, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. They'll be learning about the many activities of the Library Users of America and the Guide Dog Users, Inc., from Adam Rushevel and Terry Turlow, respectively, and they'll be sharing information on many other topics as well. KCB Next Generation will hold its monthly business meeting at 8 p.m. on Thursday, April 14, also on the KCB Zoom line. Tri-State Library Users invites book lovers everywhere to its next book club meeting and business meeting on Friday, April 15, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on the Zoom line. The book we're reading this month is Secretariat. For more information about the book club or Tri-State Library users, contact Natalie Couch, President at 217-369-5139. Due to Easter parades and Derby Festival activities, the roundabouts for the rest of the month of April will be virtual. Bingo will be on April 16 and Page Turners on April 23. Both are from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. An attorney will present information and answer questions about wills, trusts, and related topics at the South Central Kentucky Council of the Blind Social Hour on Wednesday, April 13, from 2 to 3 p.m. Central, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern. The Zoom number for that call is 669-900-6833, and the code is 763-689-4411. The Kentucky Talking Book Library will hold its next meeting on Tuesday, April 19 at 3.30 p.m. Eastern. For more information about this month's book and for the dial-in number, contact the library at 800-372-2968. One cancellation this month. ACB Families will not hold its program call on April 17 as that is Easter Sunday. At the ACB board meeting on April 1, President Dan Spoon and Executive Director Eric Bridges shared information on work that is going forward on increasing the accessibility of medical home tests. They had some amazing progress to report. Listen to their report on page 2. Steve Weiser is a well-known historian, architect, and author in Louisville. He lives in the Clifton area close to the Kentucky School for the Blind and the American Printing House. Steve was one of the speakers at the recent GLCB Spring Quarterly Meeting. We share his talk on page 3. Are you looking for a special piece of information on the Internet? You can always do a Google search, but sometimes it's helpful and quicker to go to a site that specializes in the kind of information you want. On page 4, you'll find a list of internet resources that might be helpful as you look for those little bits of elusive information. We welcome your comments and suggestions for future shows. Give us a call at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Page 2. All right, number 5, Mission Moment uh, with uh, Eric and Dan. I uh, 
wanted to, from my, I'll go first and say, I've been really impressed with our leadership team and starting with Clark uh, and Swatha and the efforts they've put forth with letters we wrote to the White House. Related, this is all related to the lack of accessibility of COVID home test kits. And uh, we wrote a letter to the White House. Uh, Might have had my name on it, but it came from ACB, of course. Um, then we wrote a subsequent letter to the National Institutes of Health. We wrote a follow-up letter. We received feedback from the agency. Is it, it's it, it, who knew that the National Institute of Health has 27 different institutes and centers. The one that's responsible for engineering and developing the COVID test kits is NIBIB, and their director reached back out to us. Uh, putting together a listening session uh, that included multiple disability groups. And last Thursday, we had a three-hour listening session uh, with the director, the deputy director, the lead consulting team that's responsible for the development of all the RADx program, which is an almost $2 billion program to develop uh, test kits. Uh, we had a presentation from the deputy director, then an hour plus of a listening sessions. They took the, t the group and broke them into three teams. Uh, one dealt with uh, senior and aging uh, issues uh, that, that made it difficult to access the, the test. Um, the second group was around fine motor skills and, and the ability that that population, uh, dis, or disability that population has when it comes to accessing the home test kits. And then the third was for blind and low vision individuals. Uh, ACB was represented by Clark Rackful, our advocacy director, Jeff Tom, president of AAVL. Kim Perkins, Kim Charleston at Perkins Library, and Claire Stanley from the National Disability Rights Network and part of our advocacy team, uh, as well as myself. And it was really a good session. Uh, I'll ask Kim and Jeff and, 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 and Clark to comment on it, but they listened, they took notes, they then presented our comments back to us to make sure they had them all captured. Uh, then the director came on and, and basically stated that this was 50-year-old technology that had to be upgraded. They realized it, and they were going to make the investment to make uh, COVID test kits accessible for all of our communities. It was a pretty powerful statement. We've since uh, received a letter back uh, yesterday from Director Talberg uh, saying that, you know, they're following up with us. They want to put focus groups in place and they want to, you know, continue the dialogue with the American Council of the Blind. So I was, uh, I was really, uh, at least from my standpoint, very, very impressed with their engagement. I don't know, uh, Clark, Jeff, Kim, if you, you all had any thoughts, but uh, it's just, to me, it's ACB really being a chief influencer and in making a difference. 
So, Dan, I think that one of the comments you just made about the making the test accessible and listening to us um, in our in our focus group, um, one of us said that, you know, while we're incredibly appreciative of the fact that they're working so hard to make COVID home tests accessible, don't negate the value that this will have on making other kinds of medical home tests more accessible for people who have disabilities. And they absolutely acknowledge that and that that's a key part of their direction moving forward is is to make the whole field of home-based testing more accessible. So I think that's a huge victory, just getting them to acknowledge that. It's really important. Yeah, and I think acknowledging that we had a right to accessible test kits all along. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is Jeff. I think it's sort of a good news, bad news, more good news than bad. And part of that good news, and which um, Kim has just sort of alluded, is ultimately they intend that home tests be used far more than just to diagnose a positive or negative you know, uh, as to whether you have a certain disease, but um, how it needs to be treated, you know, enabling you to even treat it at home. The the science in this field really has a lot of long-term goals. And because we're working toward accessibility now, um, I think that we can, when the time comes for this field to really, you know, expand, we will be able to be the forefront. Now, the bad news is that this this stuff takes time. They have a method that they use. It's very scientific. It's very sort of engineering based, um, and it's not going to happen overnight, in my opinion. But I mean, that's almost uh, something we have just got to, you know, handle. Yeah, I mean, we were actually talking to their engineers, which I thought was pretty cool, uh, Clark. I agree with everything that Kim and Jeff has said. Uh, A couple things that I would highlight. Uh, This listening session happened because of the advocacy work of the disability community. And I would say especially and specifically because of the advocacy work of ACB. That's not my opinion. That's the opinion of folks at Health and Human Services, of whom I've spoken with since this listening session took place. Um, I agree with with Jeff that this is not going to provide an immediate solution for an accessible testing service, and that is why our advocacy work in this space will continue. We were scheduled to have a call with the Department of Health and Human Services this Monday, um, that has since been postponed due to the uh, the president's budget and Secretary Becerra um, needing to be on on call in the department, having all hands on deck in deck in response to the the budget announcement. So we we will work in, uh, to reschedule that meeting and keep these advocacy efforts going. Uh, but then, as as Kim said, the the long tail of this, longer than even my week long Apple Fitness challenge against Jeff Bishop, <laughs> is that 
that this will impact more than just accessible COVID testing. This, this has the, the potential and the promise to impact all forms of at-home testing and diagnostics. Um, and that's very exciting. And it's, it's also exciting how, how ACB has you know, pulled together. Like you mentioned, Dan, it's been a, a multi, uh, multi-person whether it's staff, board members, members, um, it, everyone has been working on this issue and collaborating uh, to move this issue forward and raise the profile of this issue. And it's excited that we have the attention of the administration. Um, and it, it might take some time, uh, but the, the results and ramifications from this effort will provide greater accessibility uh, for many aspects of health and medical care in years and decades to come. Yeah, I, I Dan, thought... Dan, this is Pat Sheehan. I wanted to yes, see, go ahead, say Pat. something. Yes, please, Pat. You know, uh, I just want to point out that all of this work started with a member that we have, Gary Morin, yep. who works for NIH, who helped to uh, bring some of the these people together, make the introductions and all. So I think as far as people that are listening, you never know where your reach is going to be helpful and where it's going to make a difference. So I will certainly uh, uh, talk to Gary and let him know where this has gone and what he started. And I think he'll be very pleased with all of that. That's great. Oh, thank you, Pat. Yes. Uh, Gary is a member of our ADP uh, uh, section 508 subcommittee. So he's very involved in providing audio description. So when when we get when we get to that point, I'm sure whatever videos uh, NIBIB releases will be audio described. So that's going to we'll, be we'll even a bigger bonus. We'll hold Gary to we'll that. We're going to hold Gary to to, <laughs> to that. Um, and and just a little bit more on the scale, which uh, Dr. Torberg uh, brought to our attention, which I thought was kind of mind blowing, is um, they used to average a million of these test kits a month. And in the month of February, they administered a billion, a thousand times. So if you can imagine just the, the increase uh, in throughput and, and what that means for engineering and innovation in this area. So uh, he, like Kim said, he's, he's wanting to solve the problem for the, for the long term, which I think fits into one of our legislative imperatives, you know, when it comes to really health and wellness and, and us being included in, you know, where medical technology is taking us in the 21st century. So, all right. Any, anyone else? Yeah, Mr. President, this is Chris Bell. Uh, yes, Chris. Congratulations to uh, everybody that, that made this happen. Um, I, I would like to add that I think it is important that uh, NIH not uh, treat the testing of their test uh, processes for accessibility mm -hmm. uh, in, in a completely siloed manner um, because many people have multiple disabilities. So, for example, if somebody has Parkinson's mm -hmm. and they're 75 years old, they've yep. got dexterity issues, but they also have aging issues. Um, and the uh, same thing for vision. You can have people who are blind that have dexterity issues and, and are older. So these things are not 
um, simply separable. Oh, well, if we solve the dexterity issue, that'll that'll work for everybody who's also older and and blind. That's not necessarily true. These things are interactive and cumulative. So I would hope uh, as NIH proceeds that they use some focus uh, folks that have multiple disabilities to uh, get the interaction on a, a number of fronts at the same time. I, I agree yeah. with you, Chris, and, and maybe, is that Jeff? Yeah, because they addressed this, so I think that would be yeah, excellent. In, yeah. in our group, the, which was the aging group that I was the, uh, I think the only one of, of our, of the ACV folks on, we definitely did uh, address that issue in a lot of different ways, uh, Chris, so you're absolutely correct for bringing that up. Okay, and, I th and, and I think they really had an aha moment that said, oh, yeah, you know, having better, like, laid out accessible instructions that not only, you know, their first thought was, well, we just need to take our existing instructions and make them available in Braille and large print. And we'll solve the problem for the blind and low vision community. And then as we talked through it, they said, no, you've got to put locator tabs and things on the devices and all that. So, and then modify those instructions. So you say, you know, the raised dot at the bottom left-hand corner of the, you know, of the, of the board is, is the direction you want to put the device as you're starting to do the test. I mean, that was just an example, but, you know, it was really pointing out, you know, the, the roles there. And then, of course, people with fine motor skills were saying, well, there's no way we can get these you know, drops in these little teeny holes and, and the blind folks were saying the same thing and so were the aging folks. So it became very obvious to them that there's there there's benefits across all three populations uh, you know for uh for improvements. It was it was I thought very very interesting to see the it, it connectivity. One one comment that came across several times from the NIH people that was interesting was the tests are hard for sighted people too. And we need to do a better job yep. of writing directions that a normal human being can understand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they said that half, almost half of them, they, they tear the strip off when they, they, there's a good thing that they have two test kits in a box because <laughs> half the time they tear the strip off and they don't realize you have to leave it on there. Right. They avoid, they avoid the first they test, just figure test. out how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, thank you all. And I just want to give the team a big uh, hip, 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 hooray. Hip, hooray. Hip, hip, hooray. Thank yeah. you. Thank you all. And we're not done, but I just wanted to give you an update. I thought it was a pretty good, good milestone to recognize. Page three. We are privileged this afternoon to have Steve Weiser. I've known Steve for a few years. I'm not even sure how many, but um, he's a historian around Louisville. He's written several books, uh, mainly I think about architecture. He's going to speak about the uh, Clifton neighborhood from uh, pigs to streetcars to shotguns and all around the uh, Clifton neighborhood. So uh, Steve Weiser, it is all yours. Thank you for coming. Debbie, I'll take the microphone. Thank you very much, uh, Debbie. And yes, I'm not certain how long we've known each other. Decades, I would say. <laughs> but welcome, everyone. Uh, and thank you for inviting me here this afternoon. Uh, I am Steve Weiser. I'm an architect and historian. 
I've written many architecture and history books, although none of those are audio books, so sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> but I do have a visual, as to myself, I do have a visual impairment as well from a childhood injury, and I've been a supporter of visually impaired preschool for many years. Uh, Diane Nelson, the executive director there, is a very good friend of mine, and I've supported them in numerous ways. In fact, one of my uh, architecture books, I donated all the proceeds from that book to VIPS, and it raised over $10,000 for them. So, uh, still very good friends with Diane. I'm also good friends uh, with Ralph and Jane Bartley. I think Ralph uh, was a former director here at KSB. Uh, if I have that correct. Um, and I have a connection here at uh, United Crescent Hill Ministries who now occupy this building. Back in the mid-1980s, again a very long time ago, <laughs> I was on the board here and it was, a, it was a financial struggle to fund the various important programs of UCHM. Sue Gentry, who was then the executive director, asked me and several others to develop the first fundraising campaign for UCHM and glad the organization has continued to be successful with its wonderful programs. So uh, although I had nothing to do with this uh, acquiring this building here, uh, we did set up the financial strategies for them to be hopefully be successful to acquire a building of this nature. So uh, UCHM is still in my heart and uh, very much a supporter of them as well. I've lived in the Clifton and Crescent Hill neighborhood area for the past 42 years. Gosh, how time flies. It just seems like yesterday we moved into this area. I once lived on Halderman Avenue, right across the street from KSB. I now live near Brownsboro and Zorn Avenue. I regularly shop at Kroger's, or as some used to refer to it, the Dirty Kroger's, <laughs> which it no longer is dirty, but I do recall those days. I loved Busman's Bakery before it closed several years ago. So I know a little bit about the history of this area and will provide what knowledge I do have. Frankfurt Avenue started out as what we call a buffalo trace. Large animals like buffaloes, elk, and bears. Yes, there were bears. Uh, you may recall we have a creek named Beargrass Creek not too far from here. Followed this trace or path to where they crossed at the falls of the Ohio. This trace, which we now no, known as Frankfurt Avenue is actually a ridge line or the peak ridge between two hillsides. On either side of Frankfurt Avenue the earth slopes away downward. So you're actually as you uh, walk along Frankfurt Avenue if you go to either side the, uh, the grade goes downhill. So you're actually on a ridge line. I love, the, I love to hike and normally I like to hike the ridge lines in, full, in, uh, in forest and uh, parks and things of that nature, just like the animals used to do. So a lot of our major streets in Louisville used to be animal paths. Then the Native Americans uh, would follow those paths to get to the animals, and we Europeans came along later and developed them into roads. So that's the origin of Frankfurt Avenue. Over 150 years ago, the Clifton area was mainly farmland. It was very distant from downtown Louisville, it probably took a good hour or so to ride a horse or carriage from downtown to this location. And there, and there were what was called truck farms here, where farmers grew crops and then trucked them to down 
by their horse-drawn wagons to sell to the urban residents in downtown Louisville and also to the groceries there. There were also pig farms and yes, goat farms here. I'm not sure if you all are aware, but there was a major goat farm down here on uh, Payne Street, not too far away. Um, in fact, um, uh, another street that I once lived on, Frank Avenue in Crescent Hill, was part of the Valentine Frank pig farm. My bath, when I bought the house, the bathroom had tile with little pigs decorated on it that illustrated the former history of that part of town. I'm sure Mr. Frank would shepherd his pigs down Frankfurt Avenue, like other livestock owners in the area, toward the Bourbon Stockyards, which were just down the hill from Clifton. The stockyards were still in operation when I moved on Halderman in the early 1980s. And I still recall that fine aroma each morning when I departed the apartment for work. Uh, did anyone else smell that fine aroma of the Bourbon Stockyards? <laughs> That's one part of history we, we fondly forget. Thank goodness the stockyards are long since gone, but I think the J.B. Swift meatpacking plant still occasionally has similar smells. Oh yeah. <laughs> also in this area, in the mid to uh, late 1800s, wealthy Louisvillians were buying farms and developing them into residential properties. Hmm, kind of sounds like what's happening now in today's age where people move farther out past the Gene Snyder Freeway, buy farms and turn them into suburban uh, residential areas. But they were doing that back in the 1800s as well. Anyway, people like Joseph Peterson, Joshua Bowes, and Urban Ewing built large houses here. They most likely used the railroad, which was built here in the 1850s, for quick trips into downtown. So the railroad uh, that y'all are most familiar with here, you better be, <laughs> but uh, it was built about 1855 and is still used today, but me, people use that as transportation back in those days as well. In fact, the Bose Station was right there where uh, uh, the railroad crosses there on Frankfurt Avenue near Clifton Avenue. This was also about the same uh, time that KSB moved into this area in the mid-1850s. So KSB has been here a long time. Joseph Peterson, of course, built the Peterson Duminil House on Peterson Avenue in 1869. By the way, that's a misnomer. Uh, they call it the Peterson Duminil House, but actually Joseph Peterson never lived there. It should be called the Lindenberger House. I won't go into that, but the Lindenbergers actually lived there, but uh, we call it the Peterson Duminil House. Uh, Joshua Bowles built his house where the intersection of Sycamore and Clifton Avenues is now located. There is a senior living facility now at that location. Does anyone know what Joshua Bowles called his house? They called it Clifton. He called his house Clifton, and that's why we call this the Clifton neighborhood now. And Urban Ewing, for whom Ewing Avenue is so named, called his house Chatsworth. Today, at the corner of Frankfurt, Frankfurt and Ewing Avenue is an apartment complex called Chatsworth Apartments, where his house once stood. So that's where you get the name Chatsworth. Development of the Clifton area uh, began to take off with the construction of a streetcar line in the 1860s to 1880s. This allowed ease of transport to the city. 
The streetcars were initially pulled by mules. There were two types of streetcars, a one-mule streetcar and a two-mule streetcar. One-mule streetcars were used on flat areas like downtown and the southern and western sections of the city. Those with hills, like Clifton, used two mules so that they could pull the cars up, Frankfurt, up the hill on Frankfurt Avenue. By the early 1900s, streetcars were operated by electricity and no longer needed mules. By the way, the streetcar turnaround was at Halderman and Frankfurt Avenue, where Busman's Bakery was once located. There is a historical display there now indicating the former streetcar turnaround loop. Certainly many KSB staff and students used this streetcar system. Does anyone know when the streetcars ended here in Louisville? They ended on Derby Day of 1948. So that was, what, uh, 74 years ago, I guess? Hopefully none of you all used the streetcars back then. I still run across people who love the streetcars. I still wish we had streetcars. They were just marvelous. Clifton and Crescent Hill neighborhoods were annexed into the city of Louisville in the early 1900s. I think that was about 1909 or thereabouts. So prior to that period, we were outside, we were a big suburb of, of, of Louisville, but we were annexed in the early 1900s. And then residential development really picked up steam. Then with city services, such as fire protection, that's when they built the firehouse here in Clifton and also the one there in uh, Crescent Hill. And many houses were built in what was called the shotgun style of construction. And no, shotgun does not refer to an actual gun. The word is derived from the African and Caribbean regions where this housing style migrated from. So I'm not sure why it's called shotgun, but the, the Caribbean and African uh, cultures called it shotgun. Uh, a shotgun house is a very um, narrow structure with no internal hallways and whose rooms were in a consecutive sequence from living room to dining room to kitchen with the bedroom off of the dining room or upstairs in the Camelback style. And I'm not certain if anyone here lives in a shotgun house, but, uh, but if you do, that's the, the origin of it. A shotgun house was easily built and very affordable since it used minimal real estate. Again, it was very narrow lot uh, property that it required. Therefore, lower and middle class families could easily own this type of house, and many were built here in the Clifton area. The first car traveled the Louisville streets in 1897. By 1910, hundreds of cars were roaming the streets. Frankfurt Avenue became a vibrant commercial district. The Hilltop Theater at Pope and Frankfurt was built. Churches were built, like the James Lee Presbyterian Church, which, by the way, was designed by the famous African-American architect Samuel Plato. The early 1900s were a thriving period for Clifton. By the mid-1900s, though, people were starting to vacate this section of town and moving farther out to the suburbs like St. Matthews and beyond. A period of decline followed, vacant storefronts, deteriorating houses. When I moved in onto Halderman in 1980, by the way, this street was named for Walter Halderman, 
who was publisher of the Courier-Journal newspaper, and to my knowledge, he did not live on that street nor in this area. And I don't know why they called that Halderman over there, but it was named for him. He was a publisher of the Courier-Journal. So again, when I moved on to, the, on to Halderman in 1980, my parents thought I was crazy. They said, are you nuts, they told me. That is a bad and dangerous neighborhood. Well, what I saw was a quaint, charming area with very friendly people, and it turned out to be so. But it had a long way to go to reclaim its glory years of the early 1900s. It has since been revitalized and now back to a livable, somewhat affordable community. When I bought my house on Frank Avenue in 1981, that was 40 year, 41 years ago, the cost was $30,000. That was in 1981. I recently saw where that same house sold for $170,000. Not sure what the rate of increase is over those 40 years, but I sure wish I had held on to that house as an investment. <laughs> well, that brings us up to date. KSB is still here for over 165 years, and I am so glad that the Helen Keller Museum will be added to the campus in the near future. What a wonderful project this will be to the neighborhood. I thank you for inviting me here to share some history of the KSB neighborhood and hope you enjoyed it as much as I love living here in the Clifton Crescent Hill neighborhood. I thank you all very much. If you all have any questions, just raise your hand and I'll answer whatever questions you might have. Yes, um, boy. Yes, over here. I just wanted to mention a couple of things. First of all, I grew up on North Bel Air, and um, uh, you mentioned the aroma of the stockyards, but back in the 1950s, uh, there were four aromas in this neighborhood. There were not only the stockyards, but down at the uh, intersection of River Road and what was then Ohio Street, which is now Frankfurt Avenue, the city dump was down there. <laughs> And my, my father was a firefighter, and every once in a while, especially during this heat of the summer, that would catch on fire. And you could smell that burning trash all over this neighborhood. Oh, it was bad. And then you also have the D.D. Williamson um, place down here behind where the uh, Busman's Bakery used to be, and they would make caramel syrup out of sugar for products like Coke and, and other uh, syrups. And they, every once in a while, would burn the sugar. And so you would get that aroma. And then uh, the fourth one was, back in the 50s, there was a distillery uh, for beer down at the corner of Frankfurt Avenue and Millwood. And in the fall, especially, they would have the mash down there and you could smell that all over the place. So I have vivid memories of those smells. And, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, also uh, when, when uh, back in 1953-54 school year, this building here was the Benjamin Franklin Kindergarten Grade School. And I, I had enough vision then to read large print. So I came uh, to kindergarten here uh, back in 53, 50, or 54, my two si older sisters, my two younger brothers also went to kindergarten down here. And uh, this was a, a school for over 100 years before 
uh, we were lucky enough to have it become the United Crescent Hill Ministries building. So I, I definitely enjoyed your talk. I, uh, Glad I brought back some memories, although those odors and smells, oh, I am so glad they were gone. Uh, as you know, uh, Kentucky is uh, having a renaissance right now with distilleries, and uh, we, were, me and my wife were at one on uh, Thursday over in Frankfurt, and yes, the, the smell of distilleries, oh, yeah, I'm glad that's gone as well. Uh, if anyone else wants to have a question, raise your hand and I'll bring the microphone over to you. I'm looking around. Debbie, yeah, you have a question here. I don't necessarily have a question, but I have a comment. It, it's interesting to hear about the uh, Chatsworth person because I live actually in the Chatsworth apartments now. So it's interesting to wonder how they got their name. So that's interesting. I always learn something when I hear your talks. Thank you very much, Debbie. Does anyone else have a question or not? Okay. Well, let's let's ask that. Steve. Let's check and see. We've got about nine or ten people on the phone line with us. So, Natalie, do we have any hands? If there's anybody on the phone that has a question, you can raise yes. your hand. Natalie will tell us who it is. Matt Selm, you can go ahead and speak. Thank you. Um, I just want to know if you could tell me uh, who is Frankfurt Avenue named after or is it named after the yeah, capital it, of Kentucky. It is named for the capital of Kentucky. That is correct. Yeah, so you, okay. if you were to take Frankfurt Avenue, it then combines to Shelbyville Road. And if you took Shelbyville Road, that runs all the way to Frankfurt. In fact, me and my wife were at Frankfurt. As I mentioned, I was at this distillery in Frankfurt on uh, on uh, Thursday. And yes, uh, Shelby, if you take Shelbyville, Frankfurt Avenue, Shelbyville Road goes right to Frankfurt. And Brownsboro, I've never been to Brownsboro. I know Brownsboro Road goes to a city named Brownsboro, but I've, has anyone ever been to Brownsboro? I don't even know where Brownsboro exists. Northeast Jefferson County. Northeast Jefferson County, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, Frankfurt is much more known than Brownsboro is. Dave Wildey. I was going to tell you, Brownsboro goes to um, just... Uh, north of Crestwood and there's a golf course there, Sleepy Hollow, and it comes out at uh, 329, which runs over to Prospect, so that's where Brownsboro Road goes. And that little community there is called Brownsboro. So, okay. Well, they get a lot of mileage out of it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of our major streets are Lexington Road, it runs, Lexington runs the Shelbyville Road, and then Lexington, and then Shelbyville Road not only goes to Frankfurt, but I think if you follow that, it goes on over to Lexington as well. So, um, but a lot of our streets uh, were also named for politicians. Uh, Payne Street was named for a council person. Uh, I know, I uh, forget his, what his first name was, but can you believe politicians naming streets for themselves? That's yeah, it's another another story. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, Story, I think, was a politician, too. Um, uh, and Melwood Avenue, uh, I'm not sure where. Melwood, wasn't that a distillery? I know that, uh, I think it was a Melwood distillery that was located on Melwood, is what that was called, I believe. Any other questions? Well, you all have been an excellent audience this afternoon, and I'll let you get back to your uh, duties here, and I uh, hope... Well, spring will finally get here. Well, we go summer, winter, summer, winter, it seems like here. In An amazing talk. So, thank you. Uh, thank you all very much. Thank you, Debbie. Here you go. Thank you. Yes.
Page 4. This information was also posted by Peter Altschel from David Goldfield's Assistive Technology List. It was entitled, Ask Bob Rankin, from Friday, April 1, 2022. The title is Desperately Seeking Something? Try these free research tools. Free online search and research tools. There are plenty of websites with dubious experts, opinionated blowhards, and others who will lead you in a particular direction that benefits them more than you. So where do you turn when you have a problem and you need to find reliable answers from true experts, researchers, and the recognized leaders in a particular area? I've got a list of websites that I've personally found to meet these criteria. Most of them have been around for over a decade or two, proving their worth by their longevity. Check out this long list of free online reference tools covering more than a dozen areas of expertise. General reference tools. In a library, if you don't know where to look for a reference book, you go to the reference librarian. On the internet, if you don't know where to look for answers, you go to refdesk, R-E-F-D-E-S-K dot com. At first glance, the sheer amount of useful links on the RefDex homepage can be overwhelming, but it's really quite well organized and useful. I recommend that you click the drop-down next to Reference Desk at the top right and select an option from the list. Encyclopedia.com gives you credible answers from published reference works. Enter your search words and it will search multiple encyclopedias, dictionaries, and thesauruses. Thesauri, thesaurus, rex. The Britannica Online Encyclopedia is another very credible source. Today, the homepage has some April Fool's Day hoaxes and a discussion of why bird poop is white. Who knows what tomorrow will bring? Reference books. At dictionary.com, you can look up a word in either a dictionary or Roger's thesaurus to find synonyms and antonyms. The site also offers Word Facts 101, the word of the day, daily crosswords and word search puzzles, and a huge list of links to other online dictionaries, including hundreds of non-English ones. At the InfoPlease Homework Center, students will find useful information by subject area, develop better writing, note-taking, and study skills, and search through previous questions and answers from other students. Word Reference offers free online translation dictionaries. Enter a word and it will first translate it into Spanish, French, Italian, German, or Russian. Then it will display the dictionary definition for that word in the chosen language. Need a synonym, antonym, or related word? Try this rhyme zone, R-H-Y-M-E-Z-O-N-E. The Farmer's Almanac is filled with entertaining short stories, good cooking, fun, facts, forecasts, timely household tips, 
calendars for fishing, and, of course, gardening. Guessing the future since 1818. The CIA World Factbook, published by the United States Central Intelligence Agency, has data on almost every country in the world, including maps, background, geography, people, government, economy, and military. Medical questions. Medical advice. WebMD is one of the leading medical reference websites. This authoritative website contains thousands of articles on medical conditions, diseases, and how to stay healthy. The Mayo Clinic's Symptom Checker, S-Y-M-P-T-O-M Checker, prompts you to choose a symptom, then related factors, and view possible causes. I heard one comedian refer to this as youprobablyhavecancer.org. Medline Plus, M-E-D-L-I-N-E-P-L-U-S, is a service of the National Library of Medicine, NLM, the world's largest medical library. You'll find information on health, wellness, disorders, prescription drugs, over-the-counter medicines, supplements, and articles about diseases, symptoms, tests, and treatments. Business and Financial Research Hoover's Online, H-O-O-V-E-R apostrophe S, Online, provides company capsules and profiles that give comprehensive company, industry, and market intelligence to investors and business professionals. Insert vacuum cleaner joke here. Edgar, the SEC requires public companies to file registration statements periodic reports, and other forms electronically through EDGAR, E-D-G-A-R. Now you can access and download this information for free. Zach's Investment Research, Z-A-C-K apostrophe S, has tools that enable individuals to research, select, and track their investments more effectively. Company news, profiles, stock prices, and more. Weather. In addition to local weather maps and forecasts for thousands of cities around the world, the Weather Channel website offers many other useful features, such as the free desktop weather software for Windows, inbox weather, email you the forecast daily, pollen report, air quality forecast, and the interstate forecast planner. For the weather junkies, Weather Underground has everything you'd expect from a weather site, including yesterday's forecast. Check the BBC Weather Center, C-E-N-T-R-E, for weather forecasts for the UK and cities around the world. Movies. The Internet Movie Database, IMDB, lets you search for a movie or video by its title, and tells you everything you could ever want to know about that movie and its actors. Ever wonder if a movie is appropriate for your family? Screen It, S-C-R-E-E-N-I-T, has detailed reviews for movies and videos. You'll know just how much language, violence, sex, and other potentially offensive material 
you'll be exposed to. Rotten Tomatoes is a site for both casual moviegoers and film buffs alike. Millions each month use Rotten Tomatoes as a dependable resource and objective coverage for movies and videos. With more than 100,000 titles and 360,000 review links in its ever-growing database, Rotten Tomatoes offers a fun and informative way to discover the critical reaction on movies from the nation's top print and online film critics, neatly summarized via the tomato meter. Music and Lyrics Research Try Lyrics.com, L-Y-R-I-C-S.com, if you want a searchable database of song lyrics covering many different genres. Kiss This Guy, Kiss This Guy, G-U-Y, is a website devoted to misheard and misunderstood lyrics. Finally, you can find out why Manfred Mann had a boulder on his shoulder in the song Blinded by the Light. U.S. Government Government Research Tools Visit congress.gov and find up-to-date information on who's really saying what on Capitol Hill. This site, formerly known as Thomas, is a service of the U.S. Congress to make legislative information publicly available. It contains full text of legislation, both House and Senate bills searchable by keyword or by bill number, and full text of the Congressional record. No spin, bias, or sound bites here, just the raw data from which you can draw your own conclusions. USA.gov is the U.S. government's official web portal, a guide to finding government information and websites on a wide variety of topics, including benefits and grants, consumer guides, environment, energy and agriculture, health and nutrition, money and taxes, public safety and law, science and technology, and voting and elections. Language Translation Translation Tools Google Translate does computer-assisted translations from English to Spanish, Chinese, French, German, Italian, Japanese, Korean, Portuguese, Russian, and back again, sort of. In addition to entering and pasting your own text, you can select a document to translate. Supporting formats include TXT, RTF, DOC, PDF, PPT, and XLS. Over 100 languages are supported, and it does a pretty good job of figuring out what the input language is when you're not sure of the starting point. You can click an icon to hear the phrase spoken in the target language. Microsoft's Bing Translator is a similar service covering about 60 languages. Maps, Topography, and Astronomy Maps and Directions Google Maps will help you find your way from point A to point B, providing detailed turn-by-turn -turn directions. Google Earth lets you virtually fly to any point on Earth and view streets, houses, buildings, and terrain from satellite imagery. The built-in Google Sky component lets you zoom out into outer space to view planets, stars, constellations, and galaxies.
Microsoft's Worldwide Telescope turns your computer into a telescope. This jaw-droppingly cool tool blends images and data from ground and space-based telescopes to allow for seamless panning and zooming across the night sky. You can also take guided tours narrated by astronomers featuring interesting places in the sky. City Search helps you explore city life. From Las Vegas hotels to New York restaurants, Chicago events to Seattle coffee houses. Find recommendations, ratings, reviews, tips, and more. Genealogy. Cindy's List, and that's C-Y-N-D-I apostrophe S, is a comprehensive index to over 100,000 genealogical resources on the Internet. You'll find a list of links that point you to genealogical research resources in many different countries, all categorized and cross-referenced. It's like a card catalog to the genealogy collection in the immense library that is the Internet. Over 1,000 new links are added each month. Find more genealogy resources in the article Genealogy Research Online. Air Travel Are you meeting a friend at the airport? Track a flight with this graphical real-time monitor that shows the flight path on a map, along with an aircraft's altitude, speed, and estimated arrival time. Try the FlightAware Flight Tracker. Here's how to get to the lowest airfare online. It will point you to some specialized online search tools and more tips and tools for flyers. Bible Search Bible Gateway is a tool for reading and searching the Bible online, covering over 100 languages and translations. It provides an advanced researching capability which allows researchers to find and compare passages based on keywords, phrases, and scripture reference. Financial aid, and that's FinAid, F-I-N-A-I-D, is the most comprehensive collection of information about student financial aid on the web. FinAid is free and has a stellar reputation in the educational community as the best website of its kind. Make it your first stop on the web when looking for ways to finance an education. House Values Zillow.com offers free automated house valuations of more than 80 million homes across the United States. You can see the estimated value of your house, your neighbor's house, or just about any other home in the country, whether it's for sale or not. Zillow pulls information from public real estate records, tax rolls, and other resources to compute a house value. Zillow also offers a forum where you can chat with pros as well as other home buyers and sellers. People finders need to find someone's phone number, address, or other personal information. Check out Fast People Search and search my name, phone number, or address. In the past, I've recommended whitepages.com, but I've found this site offers more information, fewer ads, 
and doesn't constantly try to sell premium services. Specialized Google Searches Just visit Google and type in a phone number, stock symbol, or FedEx tracking number and see what happens. Got a favorite online reference, research, or search tool? Post a comment and tell us about it. Visit https colon slash slash askbobrankin, A-S-K-B-O-B-R-A-N-K-I-N dot com slash desperately, D-E-S-P-E-R-A-T-E-L-Y dot seeking, S-E-E-K-I-N-G dot something dot try dot these dot free dot research dot tools dot html. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.